If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Every first Sunday of the month, we observe the Lord's table. And whenever possible, I like to turn our attention to the two ordinances that the Lord has given us to observe. One of those ordinances, of course, is the memorial supper he instituted. He tells us it's designed with utter simplicity. This do in remembrance of me. For the believer, the Lord's Supper is a time to remember his precious and atoning blood and the righteousness he established as our substitute. Speaking of his blood sacrifice for his people, we read in Hebrews chapter 9 how that in the end of the age he hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And in Isaiah, the Lord sets forth, beloved, how that his righteousness has been made ours. Their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. The Apostle Paul writes, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the bloody death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his righteous life. I'm so glad the Lord has shown me I have nothing to pay the debt owing my sins. Praise the Lord, he paid it all. And further, he has shown me in the glorious light of his beloved, well-pleasing son that I am an evil sinner, undeservedly saved through the doing and dying of my Lord and God, Jesus Christ. Now, as I alluded to just a moment ago, there are two ordinances that the Lord has given to his church. Not only has the Lord given us his memorial supper, whereby we remember his broken body and the New Testament in his blood, how that through his doing and dying, he satisfied our Heavenly Father on our behalf. Further to that, the Lord has given us another ordinance, that is water's ba- water, water baptism or baptism by immersion. Now, in the church of Christ, one is not baptized to be saved. Rather, one is baptized because they already are. God's word sets forth, when they believed that minister sent of God, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now, that word baptized is from the Greek word baptizo, and it means to submerge or to immerse beneath the water. And of course, you don't need to know Greek to understand this. The Holy Spirit records in the book of Acts, after Philip baptized the eunuch, they were come up out of the water. When our Lord was baptized, the Holy Spirit records, and straightway coming up out of the water, John saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon the Son of God, And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now I'll return to the subject of water baptism later, believer's baptism. But first I'd like to direct your attention to our portion this morning, beginning in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. God's word declares, I therefore 
the prisoner of the Lord, beseech ye that, that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all loneliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. In our portion, I see seven things mentioned that are representative of what every believing sinner has been made a partaker of in Christ. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. I pray the Lord will enable me once again to set before you, beloved, the gospel of our salvation. Indeed, I pray that he will be pleased to reveal Christ not merely to you, but ever so blessedly in your heart. For if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and, be- and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, if you are to derive any benefit from our time together, it will be from God opening your heart and blessing his word to both convict you and comfort you in the sure salvation we have in Christ. Has he already opened your heart? I pray that he would be pleased to comfort you. Is there a heart here this morning that is yet stone cold dead? I pray the Lord will be pleased to break open your stony heart and give you ears to hear and eyes to see him who you must hear and see if you are to be saved. Else, my friend, you will perish and suffer eternal death in the lake of fire to be tormented day and night forever and ever. Our Lord declares, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. All right, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, we read, There is one body. Our portion this morning sets forth here that there is but one body. Now, what does that mean? Well, first of all, let's address what one body does not mean. In religion, particularly this made-up thing called the Judeo-Christian religion, there's this idea that the way God will save Jews is different from the way that God will save the nations. And this, my friend, is simply not true. You see, among the mass of humanity... There are only two types of people in this fallen world. The language of our Lord is unmistakable. God give you grace to both hear and receive him. He says of some men, they're of their father, the devil. And of others, he says they are of, they they are the children of God. Have you ever heard someone say that we're all God's children? Well, my friend, you just heard a lie. While we are almost certainly God's creation, but not all men are God's children. Our Lord sets forth that among all of humanity, there are some men who are his sheep, and of others, he says, they are not my sheep. 
Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 10. And look there with me, beginning in verse 25. John's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. Now, before I read this portion, it will be helpful to remind ourselves of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Who is He? My friend, He is God manifest in the flesh. Now, I'll return to that subject in a, little, a little later. However, I simply want you to understand this, the recorded scene before us. God, manifest in the flesh, is standing before the so-called religious authorities there in the temple in Solomon's porch. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. When this man looks at you, he will tell you your end from your beginning. Perhaps you're here this morning and you want to know if you're going to go to heaven or if you'll perish in hell. This man, the God-man, meteor, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only man who definitively knows the answer to that question. Remember, just previously, these proud, arrogant Pharisees just commanded God manifest in the flesh. They didn't ask him. They commanded him. If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Now with that in mind, God help you to listen. John chapter 10, verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me that I am indeed the Christ. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now, in your experience as an unbeliever, as a lost sinner, you most certainly felt like a goat. But, beloved, know this. You have everlastingly been his sheep. And though you were lost for many years, he has found you and saved you. Indeed, he shall both find and save all of his sheep. Now, having concluded our look at this one body, the body of Christ, the body of his elect, of whom none shall be lost, let us consider the next thing mentioned in our text, one spirit. Well, what is being referred to here by this expression, one spirit? Well, of course, this is speaking here of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a lot of people who talk about the Holy Spirit who know nothing of him. You see, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God. All three persons of the Godhead are God, and yet they are distinct from one another. However, each person may be correctly called Jehovah. Our Heavenly Father is Jehovah, the Eternal Son of God is Jehovah, and God the Holy Spirit is Jehovah. We read in God's Word how that there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Now, how do we know we're listening to God's Spirit? Once again, I would like to direct your attention to the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to John's Gospel, 
John's Gospel, chapter 15. And look there with me in verse 26. These are the words of our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. He declares in John chapter 15, verse 26, When the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. Now, of course, the Comforter is in reference to the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, sent of the Son, proceeding from the Father, notice our Lord teaches us that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak of himself, but rather ever so blessedly testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, if you hear a so-called preacher going on about the Holy Spirit, and nothing is said of the blessed person of the Lord Jesus Christ or his finished saving work, With certainty, I can tell you, the Holy Spirit is not there. But rather, another false spirit is speaking lies. And so, my friend, don't just walk out of that place. Run. I can remember a man going on about how the Holy Spirit told him to consume less coffee. Or I heard another one going on about how the Holy Spirit led them to a certain aisle in Home Depot to buy the right materials. If you hear someone who has the Spirit of God within them, do you know what you'll hear? You'll hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, who He is, what He has done, and what He continues to do for His people. Now, having already looked at how there is one body, the people that the Lord shall save from their sins, how that there is but one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who testifies not of himself, but rather testifies and reveals the Lord Jesus Christ in his people, let us now consider this one hope mentioned in our text. Now, let's be sure we understand this word hope, at least as it's conveyed in God's word. You see, when people speak, we hear them say things like, I hope it's not going to rain tomorrow, or I hope he gets the job. But when this scripture speaks of our hope in Christ, beloved, it's not speaking of a possible hope. Rather, this one hope of our calling is the sure hope we have in Christ. As I have already alluded to, the hope we have in Christ is not speaking of possibilities or a possible salvation that now depends on what you do or don't do, but rather this one sure hope mentioned in our text speaks of the sure salvation of his people. Turn with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and beginning in verse 9. God's word declares in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now notice the word order there. God's word does not say that he calls us and then he saves us. No, no. Rather, God purposed in eternity before the foundation of the world to save his people. And this is what our Heavenly Father reveals to us by the Holy Spirit, how that his beloved Son shall not fail to save his people. As the psalmist writes, Whatsoever the Lord doeth 
shall prosper. My friend, do you know why Christ was sent into the world? He came into the world to save sinners. And so, beloved, you're called in one hope of your calling, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Beloved, believing sinner, God hath saved us and called us with unholy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. You see, we have the same hope as King David, the same sure hope as King David, the hope of the new covenant of God's grace. Remember what King David said just before his time state on the earth concluded? After reigning for 40 years as the king of Israel, at the age of 70, just before he departed, God records in his only holy book the words of our brother David, saying, God hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, for this is all of my salvation and all of my desire. Beloved, we have the same sure hope, for we can say with him, Christ is all of my salvation and all of my desire. Indeed, Christ in you is the sure hope of glory. Now, returning to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. God's word sets forth here that there is but one Lord of his people. There is but one Lord Jesus Christ. And that Lord Jesus Christ is according to the scriptures. If you are to be saved, my friend, you must know this Christ according to the scriptures. Though there are many false Christs in the world today that deceive the reprobate, the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the scriptures, shall be savingly made known to his people. Well, who are the reprobate and who are the redeemed? Who are those who are not his people and those who are? God's word shows us how that there are many who say that they are Christian, and yet our Lord will tell them on that day, depart from me. It's a very solemn portion of God's word, and it ought to provoke in everyone here this morning a godly fear and proper reverence for this serious and sober topic. Where will you spend eternity, my friend? Where? Heaven or hell? Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. And let's look there together, beginning in verse 21. Our Lord declares, Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. 
Now, I believe, without doing any damage to the text, we may consider the individual in this multitude. I mean, listen to him go on and on about his good works before our Lord. He says, I did this in your name. I did that in your name. In a manner of speaking, you can almost hear him saying, I handed out gospel tracts in your name. I testified to other people in your name. I put food in the food bank in your name. And yet the Lord tells the reprobate, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. Now this word, to know, is a word of intimacy. And of course, God knows all men. But our Lord is saying to this reprobate multitude, I never savingly knew you. I never loved you. I didn't die for you. When I shed my blood on the cross, not one drop was shed with you in mind. Remember what our Lord prayed just before he gave his life a ransom for his people? He said, in effect, I pray for those you've given me to save, Father. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. So why does our Lord tell them, depart from me? Very simply this. Instead of doing the will of the Father and simply trusting and believing in the righteousness of Christ, this multitude of many trusted in their own righteousness, which before God is nothing more than filthy rags, and they perished. How very different is this self-righteous group of men and women from the saved men and women in glory? who sing not the song of condemnation set forth here in Matthew chapter 7 that says, I'm worthy, but rather sing the song of the redeemed, the redeemed singing how that he alone is worthy. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. And look there with me in verse 9. What a remarkable contrast is set forth here in God's word between the reprobate and the redeemed. Revelation 5, verse 9. They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Beloved, when we stand before him, just like the psalmist, we make mention of the Lord's righteousness, of his only. We, may, we make mention of him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You see, beloved, through our union with him, he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. And so to the Lord Jesus Christ be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. My friend, there is only one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to John's second epistle. Second John, the second epistle of John chapter, well, this is the one chapter. Second epistle of John, verse 9. God's word declares there, Whosoever transgresseth, and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. So what's the implication? 
My friend, if anyone comes unto you teaching that the Lord died for everyone, they have not God. If anyone comes to you teaching that the Lord Jesus Christ tried to save everyone, they have not God. If anyone comes to you teaching that someone whom Christ has saved can lose their salvation, they have not God. If anyone comes to you teaching that God has no son, they have not God. Indeed, if anyone comes to you teaching anything that is contrary to our Lord's teaching, they have not God. All right, Ephesians 4, verse 5. One Lord, one faith. This one faith is the saving faith that is given to God's people in salvation. Let's consider a few verses that speak of this subject. Uh, turn back to Ephesians chapter 2, just the page over. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, God's Word declares, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We read in God's Word how that His people are saved by grace. We're not saved by repentance. We're not saved by works. Rather, God's word declares, by grace ye are saved. Now, what does that mean? Simply this. When God saves someone, he does so not because that man or woman merits or deserves salvation, but rather because our great and good God is ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon him to be saved. God's word declares to Moses, I and this is recorded for us in Romans chapter 9, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then this salvation that is given to us by God's grace is not because we made a decision or we made an effort to do better, but rather this salvation is of God that showeth mercy. When God saves his people, he gives them that faith which is not of themselves. Now, what is this faith that God says is not of ourselves? Well, it's the object of saving faith. That is the faith of Christ. Beloved, our faith is mixed with doubt. Our faith is fragile. It's weak and imperfect. And so we don't have faith in our faith, but rather the object of our faith is the faith of Christ. That faith never doubts. That faith is never weak. That faith is the faith that justifies us, beloved. It's the perfect faith of the God-man mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. And look there with me, beginning in verse 16. Galatians 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Listen to what our brother Paul, the pattern saint, tells us in the book of Philippians. He writes, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, 
and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You see, when we say one faith, we're speaking about the perfect, justifying, never-doubting faith of the God-man-mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as our substitute, not only did he pay the penalty of the law on our behalf, but further, he performed the perfection that the law demanded of us. And so, in a manner of speaking, Paul is saying, I don't want to be found in that faith that is through the efforts of my flesh. Rather, I want to be found in that which is through the faith of Christ. I want to be found in the perfect righteousness which is of God by faith. The faith that is not of myself, but of the perfect, spotless, sinless faith that is that the Lord Jesus Christ established in his flesh. I was recently talking to a young man at the Apple store. Actually, he, he worked at the store. And I opened my mouth and preached to him Jesus. And he remarked to me that he didn't understand why God would send people to hell. I asked him if the Apple store did a background check on him before they hired him. And of course, as the case is with all of their employees, they did. He likely went to a local precinct and asked for a criminal background check. And so this man named Muhammad was able to produce a police report that showed his prospective employer that he would be acceptable to them. And so I warned, warned him, just like the Apple store has standards that he evidently met, God has standards. And my friend, you and me and every descendant of Adam's race will not meet God's standards. So what is God's standard? Absolute perfection. This is why Paul said, in a manner of speaking, I don't want to be found in my ruined record. No, no. I want to be found in the one faith that is well-pleasing and acceptable in God's sight. And that's the faith of Christ. You see, when he was living on the earth as a man, God manifest in the flesh. He wasn't establishing a perfect, righteous record for himself, but rather for his people. And as a man, he never once doubted our Heavenly Father. And so, my friend, go to the cemetery, and may God make it known to you, it's appointed unto you once to die, and after this, the judgment. Go to the hospital, may God make it known to you, your flesh is as grass, and all the glory of it as the flower of the grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. Go somewhere private and confess your sins to him. And may God reveal to you that in your flesh dwelleth no good thing. Certainly nothing that would commend you to his favor. You see, if you or I come to God apart from the faith of Christ, we will perish and God will justly send us to hell. Now, there's much more I could say on this subject. And time will not allow me to preach in full, but only in part this morning. But if you have more questions, come back and we will wait together upon the Lord. And in his time, he will teach you all things. Now, we've looked at six things thus far. First, that there is one body of people who shall be saved. 
our Lord declares, This is the Father's will which has, which has sent me, that of all the people which he hath given me to save, I shall lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Do you understand? Our sovereign, successful Savior shall save his people. Those that the Father gave to his Son to save, the Son of God has saved, and the Spirit of God shall call. Second, that there is one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And our Lord teaches us that the Spirit only and ever testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, When the Comforter is come, whom I will send to you, uh, unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. Do you understand? Our sovereign, successful Savior has been given all power in heaven and in earth to give eternal life to as many as the Father has given him to save. Third, there is one hope. That is the sure hope we have in Christ. And this one hope of our calling is not speaking of a possible salvation that now depends on what you do or don't do with Jesus. Rather, this one hope, this calling mentioned here, speaks of the purpose salvation of his people and what he shall do. The angel of the Lord said to Joseph, Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Fourth, there's one Lord. Our Lord declares, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. So what is the implication? Very simply this. A man who is truly born from above, a man who is truly saved, actually and really loves the Lord Jesus Christ, both his head and his body. While there are many who debate, I do not have anything to debate, for there's nothing up for to debate. <clears throat> Let me tell you plainly that if a man does not believe who Christ is, what he has done, and further where he is now, that so-called Christian doesn't have a differing theological position. Rather, he has another Christ and hates the one Lord according to the Scriptures. Fifth, there's one faith. And that's the justifying faith of Christ. Do you understand? It's not my faith, beloved, or your faith that justifies us before God. Rather, it's the perfect faith of Christ that justifies us. You see, saving faith has for its one object the Lord Jesus Christ. His faith, His righteousness, His uprightness is made ours by the gift of God. Our Heavenly Father, in mercy and grace, gives us that faith which is not of ourselves, but of Christ Jesus, his beloved Son. As we have already heard, Paul, the patterned saint, declaring that he so hated the record of his life upon the earth that he put a line through it all and called it dung. Paul said his hope was to be found in Christ, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, Paul did not want to be found in his imperfect keeping of the law, but rather Paul wanted to be found in that which is through the faith of Christ, through Christ's perfect keeping of the law, the righteousness which is of God by faith. As I mentioned, there are seven things that I want us to look at. The sixth thing mentioned here is the one baptism of God's people. One baptism. Now, before we look at this ordinance... 
of how a believer confesses his faith. I will first list a few things that religious men have made up to supplant this ordinance of our Lord. First of all, God never commands his people to confess their faith by filling out their name in a so-called decision card. Confessing your faith is not walking an aisle or coming forward at a meeting. It's not raising your hand or repeating a prayer. It's none of those things. Rather, the confession of a believer is recorded for us in several places in God's Word. You see, it's a work that starts in the heart. And by the Holy Spirit and this gift of faith is further accompanied by an outward evidence of obedience to its master. Now, of course, one is not baptized to be saved, but because the believer is already saved. And so, my believing friend, if you have not as yet been baptized, I'm certain you will soon find yourself obeying him that loved you and washed you from your sins in his own blood. Turn to Acts chapter 8 with me. Acts chapter 8. And look there with me, beginning in verse 35. God's word declares, Then Philip opened his mouth and began began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. What a testimony. If you want to know what preaching is, look no further than Philip. He opened his mouth and began at the word of God and preached the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Notice the eunuch's humility. What would hinder me to be baptized? Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and are not as yet baptized? Does it not trouble you to profess love for him and yet not obey him? That kind of love is about as hollow and empty as a man who enjoys every benefit of being a husband, but never asks the woman who suffers him to marry him. I love Philip's answer in verse 37. Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, remember, beloved, this salvation is a God work, and he's the one who must open the heart. If you believe with all your heart, thou mayest be baptized. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. My friend, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Flesh and blood hath not revealed that to you, but our Heavenly Father which is in heaven. So then be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Again, not to be saved, but because, my friend, you already are. Turn over a few chapters to Acts chapter 16. Look there with me in verse 14. God's word records in Acts 16 verse 14. A certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Theatira, which worshiped God, heard us whose heart the Lord opened. It says nothing here of Lydia opening her own heart, does it? Rather, the Lord opened her heart, 
And she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And the Holy Spirit records, she was baptized. Now she was baptized not to be saved. Rather, she was baptized because she already was saved. Indeed, the testimony of God's word is that they who believe the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, well, they're baptized. All right, let's look at our seventh and final point. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now, this one God is the God I believe, the God I receive, and yet he is the God I can't explain. My friend, if you know somebody that can explain their small g God, I'm pretty sure they're not worshiping the true and living God. So as we conclude our time together, before we observe the Lord's Supper, let us consider a few things regarding our Lord and God. Philip asks our master, Lord, show us the Father and it suffices us. Show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And our Lord said to Philip, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Do you understand what our Lord is teaching? Simply this, my friend. If you're to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, if you're to savingly know Him, you will only and ever be made to know Him through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He truly is God manifest in the flesh. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. And look there with me in verse 6. The prophet declares, Isaiah 9, verse 6, Unto us a child is born, and this speaks of the human body that was prepared in the womb of the virgin for our Lord to dwell in. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Now, as the eternal Son of God, he cannot be born, so he is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. All things are upon his shoulder. He is the only sovereign, Lord of lords and King of kings. Our heavenly Father has put everything under him. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This, my friend, is the one God of his people. Beloved, we are made to know the invisible God that no man hath seen at any time. As John writes in the first chapter of the gospel that bears his name, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. You see, in Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. May God be pleased to bless the preaching of his word this morning and quicken his people, revealing Christ not merely to you, my friend, but ever so blessedly in you. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. He is the only Savior for sinners. And if you neglect such a great, great Savior and His great salvation, you shall perish. 
Remember what he said to those unbelieving scribes and Pharisees? He said, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am, ye shall die in your sins. And so what of us, beloved? How does our Lord address his people? Beloved, for you he prayed to our Heavenly Father, Father, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He also declared to the Father, Father, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And what work was that? Do you know? The utter and complete salvation of his people. And so, believing sinner, you who have confessed him in the waters of baptism, rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ, as you remember him who purged our sins with his blood. Remember, it was not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. My friend, there is only one thing needful, and that's Christ. The Apostle John writes, He that hath the Son hath eternal life. And if you have him, my friend, you'll have everything that is mentioned in our text. If you have him, you'll be part of his one body. If you have him, you'll have his one spirit. If you have him, you'll have his one hope. If you have him, you have the one Lord who shall save you from your sins. If you have him, you have the one faith that justifies you before God. If you have him, you have the one baptism that shows that you truly have ears to hear him. If you have him, you have the one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Amen.